Hey friends, welcome to the More Than Punk podcast. I'm Seb Mackay. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode with Zach from Like Moths to Flames. We've got something a bit different this week. I know usually we're all about hard on the sleeve, emotion stuff, but as it happens, Zach plays a huge part in the logistics and kind of business side of Like Moths to Flames. So we decided to treat this one as a little bit of a masterclass to give those up and coming bands and people that are keen to get into the industry an idea of what that looks like. So Zach talks about the logistics of getting tour vans, hitting the road, how to solve a crisis when things go wrong, and he shares this fantastic story about how the wheel came off their trailer somewhere in Texas, and they spent eight hours stranded on the side of the road, and how they still made the next show, and they still got up and played. There's a lot of really great advice in here, so I'm not going to take up any more time. Let's just get into it and enjoy this chat with Zach from Like Moths to Flames. How's it going? Hey, fella. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So how have you been? Are you guys, I, I guess it's it's almost back to full force touring and all of that kind of stuff in the States, right? Uh, it seems to be so, yeah. Um, it's been going good. We actually just got off a tour um, about a, almost two weeks ago at this point. Um, and it was like a two month long run. And then there's actually some rescheduled dates at the uh, beginning of December happening. So just enjoying some time at home right now, actually, you know, it was a long tour and a long first tour back uh, in about two years time. So it's nice to be at home, get well rested again, enjoy some holidays and some family time, time with my girlfriend. So just kind of soaking it up for a little bit. Nice, nice. It's cool that you, um... <laughs> didn't go absolutely stir crazy i was uh, this is ages ago but i was talking to the guys from less than jake and they were like yeah we still haven't unpacked our toothbrushes we're just hoping that this whole thing goes away <laughs> yeah yeah i was hoping so at first too and then time just kept going <laughs> as it does as it does yeah so this new ep right um very very heavy like lyrically i mean you've always been a heavy band not to just be like start off with the fucking obvious points here what are the conversations in the LMFT camp when you're doing an EP about addiction and about all of that kind of stuff? Like you sort of looking at each other being like, dude, are you okay? Or is it sort of you write it and you don't really talk about it? Do you know what I mean? Say it's the latter. It's pretty much one of those things where uh, myself and Jeremy are the primary writers for music and everything like that. So Chris really allows us to have our space with writing what we want and kind of just pitching whatever ideas that come our way that we end up, you know, vibing with and writing and bringing to the table for, you know, potential EP and LP demos and whatnot. So it's real nice that, that he allows us to do that. So we do the same thing with him lyrically and it's kind of just always been that way. Like he's been the, the main writer, the main lyricist. So it's always coming from his own personal space. So we just allow him to be, that like he's kind of the the voice of like moths and we're the you know we're providing the atmosphere and the the musical elements to it so it's it's hard for me personally to touch on lyrics and, and whatnot because we kind of just let the dude do his thing like he gets the demos and he sits with them thanks and then kind of when we hit the studio that's when he really starts like digging in and just kind of spends his time writing and and 
actually piecing together what he's gonna say on the albums and i read that you guys did something like 32 songs straight off the back of your last record before the ep comes out right i'd say no i'd say that's like over the collective of like the the full length and the the ep there's there's a lot so like this song do not resuscitate that song was one of the songs i was actually writing while writing some of the no eternity stuff so that was just a song that really wasn't ready at that time to to pitch for that record so i worked on it more after the fact and then it became you know one of the key players i was you know putting up to to the bat for the ep um but yeah, it's one of those things where we always have just like a rotating door of demos going around like our camp. Uh, as I said, Jeremy and I are with the, the writers and that's something we never really stopped doing. I'm actually working on some new songs right now and I've been home for less than two weeks and we even had a, a couple of days off. Uh, we had a hotel and I was able to bust out a couple of like, riff ideas that now I'm working on further and whatnot. So I'd say, I don't know, there's probably always at least... 10 plus songs on the back burner that we're adding to so i'd say over the course of that like year and a half we've had we've gone through at least like 35 demos of us listening back and picking and choosing but some of those now are you know ep songs and and the no eternity songs how do you know when a song is done like completely record ready i don't want to see this ever again kind of done well I, there's kind of two stages of done for me. So like I'll get, whenever I'm writing something at home before we even get to the studio, like I'll get it to a place of like, yo, I'm done with this. I can't do anything else with it. I've reshaped it and shaped it and taken things out and added stuff, fixed the drums, everything made the best production I can. And then I'll be like, all right, this is ready for like studio work now. And then from there, if we end up dissecting a song further, once we get in with our producers, you know, then it can end up taking a new entity in its own because we, you know, further craft it. Um, but I'd say, I don't know, man, it's hard to say when the song is done because then you have to go through the process of getting your mixes back and then deciding what needs tweaked and what needs leveled out and whatnot. So I'd say it's pretty clear whenever the song's done structurally and lyrically and just like as a song, but I'd say the mixing and mix note portion is like it's whole other it's a whole other beast. Yeah, and I'm wondering if I mean, you've obviously written lots of songs. You've been doing this a long time. Like I appreciate that. Did you have to learn to just let go at a certain point when you're writing songs and and like get to a point where you go, okay, I say was doing this ten years ago and I would do a song for months on end. Now ten years later, with all this experience, I can do it and understand that like this is the best I can make it before it goes to the other guys or into studio. I'd say yeah it's like I think there is a like for me personally I can just feel whenever like I've done all I can and I'm, like I don't want to say I'm detached from it but it's like I think this is the best I can bring to the table right now until I get a second set of ears on it until I get some feedback from Jeremy and he says oh hey that's sick but you should switch the first and second verses or you know like I just need someone else to give me that like hey now it's done and I think that's the fun part about it like I think it's, I like having the freedom to, to shape my songs. And then I like, he like seeing what someone else wants to do with it or what someone else hears about it. And it just becomes a collaboration at that point. And I think that's, you know, the purpose of music. We're sharing songs with fans and whenever we're writing shit, you know, it's nice to have other people have their hands in it too, and just kind of make it a, a collaborative thing. It's interesting. Cause it's so different for me. Like I, 
obviously do this now, but before then did music writing and all that kind of thing. And so when you're writing something, you have like an editor, generally speaking, at the other end who will call you and go, this was fucking shit. What were you thinking? Do it again. Or like, hey, this was amazing. And so you always kind of have that. But when you move into something like podcasting, you've got like one shot, you know, and I bang on about this all the time, but there's a, a sense of finality, right? It's like, as soon as we end this call, that's it. We're done. Even, yeah. even if it's shit. I mean, it's not going to be shit. <laughs> no, no, no I, I totally get that. But no, that's the crazy thing. I guess it's just like, and I guess in the same sense, like there's really no, there's only one shot at doing a podcast or doing like a live take at something. So like that is your one shot to, to make it the best you can because you can't really go back and do edits. But like, that's the cool thing about music, I guess, because since we're really taking the time to, to get it to the best where it is, like there is a certain point where it's like, all right, we're at the finish line. We can't work on this anymore. There's no more there's no more time to, to make any last revisions. Like it's done. It's sent to the label. So it, it does become kind of like a timestamped thing where it's like, all right, this is your record from where you were at this point in your life or your career or, or however you want to take it. So it kind of does have that same sense of like permanence that I guess like a one shot podcast would have too. Cause it's like, there does come a final, a final like deadline for it. I try to be Buddhist about it and just appreciate that like there are things that you can't change and you can just do your best and you know they yeah, keep that's letting how you do it. That's so. how you learn too. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean obviously, you know, you like you say you've been you've been on tour, you've come back, written some songs, but before you head out on tour, you do rehearsals and that kind of thing. But when you're getting up on the stage again for like the first time in two years, you know how these songs sound, right? You know what you're supposed to do. Do you still kind of have the heebie jeebies or do you just fall back into like, yeah, we've played ten thousand shows, like we're used to this shit? It's both, man. It's honestly both. Like I always get a little bit of pre-show heebie jeebies. Not like it's kind of I guess it's like like a like a good nervous like a good anxious but it, you know especially that first show back because that was <clears throat> that was one where it's like oh man I feel like we're gonna have rust to shake off but like it was one of those things you get back on there and or you get back up there I should say and it is like you know it just comes back you do remember how to do it it's like okay we can do this I know how to do this we've done it before but I think it's just the, the first initial shock to the system of like getting back into it and and just really experiencing it all over again like it it kind of felt like a first show again yeah a bit I've years ago like god 10 years ago I interviewed um Carnifex and he remembered and I'm not like an encyclopedia for all the old shit that I've done usually I just forget everything right but he said to me every time he goes on stage he says to himself don't forget the lyrics and that's like always stuck with me it's like does everyone just go don't fuck this up and then the lights go up and the music's on and you've just got to go for it I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, I know some of the dudes in my camp are like that too. It's like you get that little bit of like, you know, just like pre-show nerves and it's just like, oh man, it's almost time. Like, because it, that's your one shot, you know, like you have to make the best of it. Is it hard, um, like keeping your energy up the whole way through a tour? And I guess what I mean by that is you see some bands play and they'll play like the second to last or third to last show on a tour. And it's like, it's their first, right? They're full of energy and all that kind of stuff. You see other bands play, um, and you can tell that you're kind of fucking over it. Is it hard, like, keeping yourself sort of fresh? And, and I get that it's in, inherently exciting, right? Like, I appreciate that you're not standing there counting the dollars as they, as they rain in. That's not what I'm implying at all. Um, but is there, like, a sort of mental, like, fortitude or something that you have to sort of come up with to just maintain peak performance? It's kind of one of those things where I think, like, the more we go, the more we get with the groove and the more, and, like, I feel like after 
like the first week it's just like it's just like full engine just like full throttle you know what's going on you know how it's going and it's just i feel like you just get really in a groove of just how you're performing and i think it just like kind of is able to maintain and stay go like say that that peak height rather than like getting waggy halfway through and being like oh i'm tired it's like i get the opposite i get energized by like seeing it just get better and better and just kind of feed off that and like it is one of those things where not every show is like the same like like level of i don't want to say level of fun but like definitely we're a band that like you know feeds off crowd participation the more the crowd's into it the more i'm gonna get into it i feel like it's probably how it is for everyone but like we're always striving to put on the best performance we can whether if you know people were as into it as the, the show before or not you know but look this is a like this is a safe place i appreciate that it is a job Right. And I talk about this a lot with people that like it's cool for a for like someone like me to listen to your music and sit there and pontificate and think, oh, it's amazing. But like it's a fucking job. You have to turn up even when you're feeling shit and you have to write music. And I get that it's a job that you like. But yeah, I definitely don't think that like any of my listeners or whatever think, oh, woe is me when a band goes. Yeah, you know, sometimes touring's a bit shit because it's a whole life that 95 percent of us just could never imagine. Yeah, there's just a lot of different like behind the scenes and just different logistics that go into how a tour works and just how a band operates that like it's not always just like the Motley Crue documentary from Netflix. Like It's not always just like a big party and people are on a giant bus like it's a lot of struggling, especially for like smaller bands and bands really building their career and whatnot. And, but it's it's truly humbling, though. It's a, it's a cool process and it's it's cool to see the growth whenever you really just put your time in and just really hone into your craft. So kind of throw your memory back probably quite a while. When did you realize that you needed to get a, a handle on the business stuff, the logistics stuff to kind of, I'm going to say scale the band and fall into business speak because fuck it, um, to sort of scale the band and, and realize that it was going to become, you know, to make it a big thing? Um, well, it's, it's kind of hard for me to say because the band was already a pretty big entity whenever I joined. I, I personally joined uh, like halfway through the band's third record cycle. So the band very much was already a business and just something that was a well-operated and well-oiled machine. Um, so, but it is one of those things where as time has gone on, um, you know, a, a key person that helped with like our logistics and, and business side of the band was our old drummer, Greg. He ended up parting ways with us, but I ended up like inheriting a lot of like the duties that he handled with like, you know, like tour managing and, and just handling, you know, logistics in that sense and booking uh, like travel for people to get into rehearsals, figuring out where we're going, like if we're needing to rent a van, all, all the crazy stuff that just goes into making sure we can get on the road. But I like that because as someone that's been playing in bands since, you know, I was 14 when I was in my first band, I'm 28 now. I think it's just cool to to finally have my foot in the door where it's like, okay, I'm not only just performing and, and writing music, but now I'm actually seeing how some of like the, the operations work for like, you know, people booking tours and people <clears throat> settling up and, and just doing all the all the business sides of things that you might not think about that go into to how the shit works. What's the biggest thing that you think that you've learned um, out of all of that stuff? I don't know, man. It's really hard to pinpoint one thing. It, it all give really me five. Then <laughs> communication is a big thing. I'll say communication is super key to just shit working smooth, making sure everyone's on the same page. You know, making sure all your ducks in a row. 
think communication is a big thing that can really just make or break how bands function. Have you had any um, like come to Jesus moments where you've been like you're going to go on the road and then you go you wake up at like in the morning and go fuck I forgot to book the van. Um, <clears throat> the only crazy, <laughs> the only like I guess the craziest thing. Well, there's a few things. <laughs> uh, before our we did a headliner for our record Dark Divine in 2018, and right before that tour, our van got totaled in a just complete accident. And um, we hadn't even started the tour, so we scrambled to rent one from actually a friend of ours. So we were able to get one in time, but then, you know, it just created some problems with just figuring out stuff moving forward. But it's one of those things where you just work through it and just kind of keep faith going. So I will figure it out. We'll we'll get through it. And you you do. And we have. And then um, which brings me to the point right before this tour started we were actually in the process of getting a new van and um it was just we literally were able to purchase it maybe like four days before this tour had started and it, we had just found it that we we're looking for a very specific van and uh we happened to find one in cincinnati we're in columbus ohio so we were able to make the drive down there we just bought it straight up like came out or not, like not bought it straight up, but you know we're able just to get it from them like the day and that day and a lot, of, a lot of maintenance had to go into doing some things, but we made it work. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, fuck, are we going to be able to make this happen? And we we made it happen. <laughs> so don't give up. <laughs> That's a good lesson. I feel like you're a kind of organizational king. You're just like, nothing phases me. I'll get, I'll just truck on through anything. Uh, it does phase me at, at certain points, but it's just like, I know we have a good team of dudes that can make shit happen. And like, you know, luckily Jeremy, our, our guitarist and Aaron, our bassist, they're really good with like maintenance and, and like handyman type shit. So they're really knowledge on, on what we need to do for our van and trailer situation. So it makes life easy when I'm trying to organize shit, they can at least be the dudes helping handle and that make sure it gets taken care of properly and safely. So. <laughs> I love the, the sort of, um, internals of bands and and all of that kind of stuff you know like i think it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shit that we don't think about when you guys get to shows and we're in the audience and we see you play and and that's cool right like we're there to see a performance and not necessarily have like a business lesson but i also think it's kind of fun to pull the curtain back a little bit and just be like you know this is what it looks like for a band at your level and then like you say it's not the motley crew like everyone's in a massive bus partying all the time it's like yeah fuck we need to buy a new van a new van yeah, dude, it's pretty crazy. And like, I agree with you. It's not like we ever want to be like, oh, woe is me. Like we had this huge van issue or anything. And that's why we usually keep that shit behind the curtain. Like we're there to to be everyone else's relief for the week or the weekend and everyone have a good time, come fucking party and, and you know, watch us rock out, watch the other bands and shit. But I mean, whenever I feel like podcasts and, and whatnot interviews, that's, that's the chance for people that do care or are interested. Like that's whenever you can get a little peek behind the curtain and, and hear about this type of stuff. So I think it's a cool, cool opportunity to like share that stuff. So any touring secrets then? You've left yourself wide open. Your top five tips for not fucking up on the road. Oh shit, man. <laughs> Honestly don't know. Um, one time we, it, we had a really great night followed by like a crazy like trailer issue. We, we were able, we played in uh, Dallas and we were out just like having like, you know, some drinks and shit. I was the driver that night. So I had to chill. But at one point, everyone, we were out with like the plot and you and like a bunch of us, like 
all got like five or ten dollars together and aaron said he would drink two bottles like two i think like 12 ounce bottles of that like chipotle hot sauce or whatever he drank it from like a pint glass for like what you're drinking from at this restaurant we were at he ended up making like 110 bucks off doing it but like so we were like going crazy doing that type of shit that night followed by like driving through waco texas at three in the morning like next thing you know i just like feel this like bump in the trailer and like i look in my side view side view mirror and i just see sparks and the next thing you know i just see our trailer tire roll right past us <laughs> so that resulted in me having to drive like between two and five miles an hour on the shoulder of a highway for about an hour to get half a mile to an exit so that way i could like call someone to come out and like repair the trailer and it took about eight hours for this dude. Like he came, assessed the situation, had to go get parts, came back, had the wrong parts, had to go to a different spot to get something, got one, one out of two pieces at this store, called me and said he had to go an, an hour to this other spot to get the next thing. Ended up coming back and finishing it. But like this took from like this took place from like 3 a.m. until 11 a.m. And I was just up the entire time, just like a nervous wreck and like. I think there's only like one or two other dudes in the camp, like awake. Everyone was just like snoozing and shit, like catching these. They think we're moving and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, we're stranded in Texas somewhere right now. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's like your whole tour budget gone, right? Just fixing that tire. Not really, man. It ended up being cheaper than anticipated. I mean, it sucks. I think it ended up being like a five or six hundred dollar fix, but still, it's like, you know, you don't want to spend money on repair stuff, but like. You got any yeah anything to keep the shit going so it's just it's expected to like know like hey we should at least budget like x amount of money just in case we need some kind of maintenance on the road so like it's something we take into account most of the time but yeah you know it's just no one wants to spend money on that type of shit yeah the one you know the thing that i'll never get used to and so i i used to live in new zealand i moved up to scotland right two sort yeah. of very similar countries in terms of size and population um, just like here comes my fucking biography um, but it's you know they're both countries where you have kind of like three or four places like centers that you would play as a band and the fact that you can get into a van and just drive endlessly around the U.S. playing shows every night of the week just consistently blows my fucking mind yeah dude it's it's literally insane that I think on the on the leveler tour with August Burns Red we just did I'm pretty sure we hit like 38 cities or so it was like a 52 day tour or something and uh, yeah there's like 38 shows or something like that um but yeah we hit a lot of a lot of ground and it, it's crazy because we you can zigzag all through the country and it's just it's insane you can cover that much ground and, and some of the cities aren't too far apart some you know you're playing some shows where it's like all right we played in you know my hometown pittsburgh this night and now we're playing in I don't know, Philly, four hours across the state. And like, that makes sense logistically because people would rather just go to Philly that live on that side of the state and see a show than, you know, drive all the way over to my side. <laughs> yeah, not like in Canada where you've got like three hours between cities, right? Yeah, it, it all depends on on that. But there are there were some like long hauls where it's like we're driving, having to drive like eight hours plus to get to some of these shows like the next day on some of these tours. But it ends up it ends up getting done <laughs> so i know that markets are, are broken up into sort of like a and b markets right um yeah i've i've moved from b market to b market when you're traveling the u.s are you are there always cities that you feel like you're just missing because they're just not on the 
you know, or do you feel like you've managed to kind of get to most of the places that you would like to get to? On, on a tour like what we just did, I feel like we managed to hit pretty much every nook and cranny that you'd need to. Um, like there are some things like, for example, like we played Cincinnati and Cleveland for Ohio. I feel like you could have swapped out one of those cities with Columbus. Like that's like where the band's from. So I feel like you could interchange some of those cities. Um, it, I guess it all just depends on like venue and like on the venues available and also like what makes sense for capacity. Maybe they chose Cincinnati over Columbus because there wasn't a big enough venue to, to accommodate what they needed from, from what the tour was supposed to be. So there's, I think there's a lot of things that go into that, that I'm really not too knowledge on, but it is interesting knowing there's just, you know, your A, B, C, D market venues. Have you been finding uh, like with the last tour that you did that capacity is sort of more than you expected with the sort of general ongoing clusterfuck? um yeah it definitely varied from city to city and there there's some some venues that required like full vaccination checks and whatnot and like for us being the opener on that tour we did see like like shows like that some of some of the attendance was a little bit lesser than we had anticipated for our opening set because it, it took the employees longer to check everyone's cards and get everyone into the venue oh no fucking way so, yeah so there's times where it's like doors are at six we start at seven by the time we get on, only half the line got through because they're taking too long to check people's negative tests or check people's cards. And um, I mean, that's kind of expected though, with this being the first the first few tours happening post pandemic. I don't even say post pandemic, but like during a fucking pandemic. <laughs> so I know things need to be into place to make sure everything runs and operates smoothly and safely. But there were some shows where like. I know Denver, for example, that venue got upgraded before we even hit that city because um, it oversold and then they upgraded to a uh, a bigger venue. And that was one of the, I think that might've been my favorite show of the tour. And it was just crazy to see that many people at a show again. And when you um, were doing the EP, just to sort of like come full circle, I know some bands have done like pandemic songs or pandemic albums or whatever. I mean, were you tempted or were you just like, you know what, this isn't going to last forever. We're just going to plow straight through it and keep doing what we do. I think it's one of those things where it's like, we don't, I don't know. I don't want to really use, I don't think any of us would really want to use like the pandemic is like a means for like inspiration, inspiration or like gain or like, or any kind of just like benefit to like, Oh, we can just use this to play off of like, we can do this theme. Like, I don't, I just, it just doesn't seem appropriate. Um, I think that we kind of stick to what we want to do as a band, just kind of do our own thing. But I, think, I mean, I, think, I understand sorry. why people would want to dig into that theme. Like I get it. It's relevant and whatnot, but I just think for that's just probably our take on it. I get the, the reason for not doing it as well, you know, and I kind of think of um, like, and I think, you know, political punk is, is awesome, but it doesn't always age well. And I think that, you know, you do a, you do a release, you're doing an album, whatever, and you do one every two years. And if one of them's about this, it's like two years from now, it's kind of like, ah, do I really want to be thinking about that? You know, like it, it doesn't have that sense of longevity. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all like, it's all in the approach. Like whenever you first said that, it honestly made me think of someone doing like a, just like, like an apocalyptic, like fucking weird, just like, oh, we're going to do like a, a weird play off it. But like, I don't know. 
I guess if you're being more political about it, I guess it just depends on what your intent is behind your message. Cause it's a lot of, especially in the States, there's a lot of weird shit going on. So. Yeah. I forget about that. I forget that you guys are just like a whole thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. I'm not even going to get onto that. No, just like abandoned <laughs> shit. Um, I do love the idea though, that this could be the genesis for like a like moth spinoff where you just write doom apocalypse style music. <laughs> I think that would be sick. <clears throat> could be pretty cool. Have to see if uh, we could do some writing with Mick Gordon to do the Rick the Doom soundtrack is I think that dude has those sounds on lock. That would be, um, you've, I mean, look, it's been said, right? It's, it's in the universe or whatever that bullshit is. <laughs> that would be hype. The audio version of um, World War Z, that'd be, that'd be something else. Hell yeah. Um, okay, music. Let's just like concentrate. Um, so we were talking about longevity. I want to know when you're writing songs at this point in your career, like individually, I mean, not as a band, so as a person, are you thinking... I need to write something that's going to stand up against the test of time because I can now see essentially that like, this is my life. This is my career for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I guess to an extent, it's one of those things where first and foremost, like I'm kind of writing for myself. I I'll start writing an idea and depending on what, like what key I'm writing on writing in or, or how slow or fast, or just kind of maybe where I, my headspace is that day. I, I feel like I'm, first and foremost doing it for myself just as a creative outlet and like a form of therapy in a way so it's like I definitely want to stay true to whatever ideas come up naturally for me and stick with them and see them through to an extent if I'm actually vibing with it but um yeah I definitely want to do things in a tasteful way though like if I if I write something and you know it, the vibe is there but it's not executed properly i'm down to just keep working with it and shaping it and, and making it tasteful so that way i guess that would be me trying to consider like the longevity of it making sure it doesn't sound like something too dated or something like i don't know so it's a tough question to answer honestly <laughs> i gotta get at least one of them in don't i yeah but i, I hope that answered for the most part yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm wondering, you know, do you ever go back through your old stuff for the sake of like, I, I guess, inspiration? I'm trying to overcomplicate this question, right? But essentially, I want to know if you go back through your old stuff and you go, that was cool. I could do it slightly better now, revamp it, make it something, you know, fresh in and of itself. I think so. Yeah. Like, um, like for example, it's not anything too, too old from our catalog, but I feel like, uh, the song fluorescent white from no eternity and gold is almost like a, a better attempt at trying to do like i did smoke and mirrors on the where the light refuses to go ep those are both in the same key um both kind of sonically similar but that was my first time ever like writing something in that kind of key and just being in that type of atmosphere when i did smoke and mirrors so i think that was a cool song and a cool attempt to kind of break into that but i feel like whenever i went back and started writing fluorescent white that was just like okay, I feel like I understand this key now. I'm going to fucking master it. So I feel like that was the intent with writing that one. How do you push yourself creatively? Because like for me, for example, it's less about creative pushing and more about like, I know I get a band like you guys who do 10,000 of these things. So I need to make it fucking different. I need to make it interesting. 
right? How do you do that for yourself when you're, when you're writing music? Like, do you have a secret dubstep album that no one knows about just to kind of keep you sort of fresh and interested? Um, I mean, that is, I'm not a dubstep album or anything, but like I do, <laughs> I do just like mess with like trying to write some like indie rock or just like, um, I don't know, I don't want to say pop punk, but it's like some lighter, just alt rock type stuff here and there. And then I don't really do anything with it, but it's just like for fun. And then a couple of years back, I tried writing like a post hardcore type, like couple song like thing. And I think that was a fun way to like, get different like riffs or rhythm ideas out there that I wouldn't necessarily do for my band at all but it just helped provide just like a sense of something fresh it's like all right I did learn something from this maybe I can apply x factor to this new moth song I'm doing now your fans are gonna lose their shit when they listen to this they're like oh my god like moths writes in indie songs (laughs) I love all kinds of music (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you've got to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I had a question on the tip of my fucking tongue and I lost it. Um, so I'm just going to improvise even more for a little bit while I try yeah, and figure my shit out. Um, but if you're lo- like, you're writing all of these kinds of songs, you're, you know, you know how much you've done and all that. Do you feel like the scene, metal chord, the genre and all of its kind of shapes and forms is becoming saturated sort of, of like... Um, I, I'm feeling like it's the kind of like, does it eat itself? You know what I mean? Does it sort of become the thing that sounds like itself over and over and over? I think sometimes, yeah. And I think it just all depends on like, it's all subjective too, because <clears throat> us being like maybe older in the, in the scene, let's say. That's weird. We, Cause you're like fucking only just younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. So like, but it's one of those things where I'm sure you've been, you're probably, you know, well-versed in this shit, well-seasoned. Like I've been going to shows and doing this shit since I was 14, but like, I've been a fan of this type of music since I was 10 and whatnot. So it's one of those things where it's like, we might know bands from like, let's say, let's just say 2005, where they already achieved this type of sound. But kids nowadays that are now getting into this, they haven't heard that band, but now this new band that's doing that same sound, that's their gateway into it. So I think it is one of those things that comes full circle, but I think it's, it's just like a generational thing. Um, but I, I do think they're, especially with like the internet being a huge thing in the last, you know, however many, at least 15 years with music or whatever. Um, I feel like, you know, it does get oversaturated at some points, like in the MySpace era, you find, you found a bunch of just MySpace fans. They didn't actually exist and go play shows necessarily, but people are out there pumping out recordings and shit and like kind of trickle down into how bands function nowadays, where sometimes people will start a band and they'll have like a fucking full EP and all this shit ready to go, but they've never even played a show or built a fan base in their hometown yet. So it's, it's one of those things where I think like, the oversaturation can be there just because of what you see on the internet or what you're hearing and whatnot. For us, so I think there are kind of two things for us that are slightly weird. It's weird for me being like a scene elder, right? That's yeah. odd and I'm never going to get used to that. But the other thing too is that at the same time, we're kind of starting to see a changing of the guard at festivals and that kind of stuff. And that, you know, people will always book Motorhead and Motley Crue and stuff. Like, of course they will. But now we're seeing like the Devil is Prada of Mice and Men, a day to remember, you know, getting those like big time slots at download or starting to headline those big festivals. And that's 
such a wild thing because like everyone's been doing it for ages you know like yeah. 15 years for some of those guys right and it's super cool and exciting to see that change happening but also kind of odd to think that we've waited this long for it i think it's just one of those things where maybe like because of the oversaturation because there's so many bands and, and ways to just get all kinds of music to you now i think it probably may have taken bands in our scene longer to achieve those things but nonetheless it's fucking awesome that they're doing it like I think it's well-deserved and I think it just goes to show that like if you just keep paying your dues and just putting the time in like you can achieve that and get to that level and um I think rightfully so with how how especially like what you said Prada like they're veterans in, in this scene and they've they've been putting out constant bangers in my opinion and I think it's just cool that they they have grown to that level of like you know playing huge festivals or, or selling out, you know, bigger tours and whatnot, getting to open for bigger bands or, you know, it's just nice to see that a band I listened to, you know, in sixth grade or seventh grade and whatnot is still a band and still putting out music and getting on bigger festivals and whatnot. It just, it's just inspiring. Cause it's just like, we, we want to get on those levels too. Uh, you know, every, I think every band just wants to keep growing and seeing others achieve success ensures that you can do it too. If you just keep working at it. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget like how much time those guys put in. I mean, all, like all of them, right. Not, not necessarily just product, but that sort of thing is like when you're a fan and you know, you get an album once every two years, you, it's easy to sort of like dip into your life, listen to the album, move on to something else, new album comes in. You kind of forget that between all of that, just guys like you just constantly playing shows like night after night after night, just like building that up. And I think this, like the scale of that to build longevity is just mind blowing. Yeah, it just, it, it kind of just can weed bands out that are, I think are in it to be in it or bands that are just, you know, maybe not meant to last and I know it might sound harsh but like the music industry is a wild beast <laughs> uh, Ben Marwood has this song called um was it the industry eats its young and it's it's essentially everything you just said but in a wonderful song you should check it out good um you were talking about growth bands wanting to grow do you guys have and I realize we're sort of slipping slightly into like the more business calculated side of this again um, but do you guys have like a plan, you know, do you, do you have like an idea in your head and you're like, yeah, in 2024, we want to be playing, you know, 10,000 cat venues or we want to be, you know, sort of second to headline on download, like that kind of thing. Is it a, how much of that is thought out? I mean, I don't think it's like necessarily thought out to that degree. I mean, like I, I do have like, I think like loose or like rough goals in mind that I, I would like us to reach. And, you know, I think, we all know we want to just keep growing the band, see where it goes and whatnot. But also it's like, that's not like the end all be all for us. Ultimately we're happy that we've even sustained this long. And, you know, the band's first record just turned 10 the other week or the other day this past week or something. And uh, it's just cool to see the progression, see the growth already. And just, you know, know that they're, the ceiling hasn't been reached yet. So it's, it's satisfying to, to know where we're at already, but I mean, obviously I want to see, growth so i think i try to keep realistic goals in mind for you know each year like hey let's like let's do a headliner soon or let's make sure we get like some material ready for the next lp or let's start figuring out when we want to do that type of stuff so i think just having like steady realistic reachable goals help in turn build towards the larger scale ones 
I feel like we're dipping into masterclass territory right now, and I should put a paywall over this episode. Be like, learn how to build a successful band with Zach from Like Moths. That'd be awesome, man. <laughs> you, you, you guys, business ideas, hit me up, man. <laughs> yeah, you guys can get fifty percent of anything I make. Um, <laughs> but it, it is an interesting point, though, right? Because I and I know that with this sort of subject's been beaten to death, but you don't play shows for two years you have to remain current relevant blah 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 um were there moments for you guys where you were thinking like shit do we do a patreon do we do a tiktok what kind of internet content do we create like how do we manage all of that because i know that for me like going into podcasting what i didn't necessarily realize at the time um was that i wasn't just going to do audio podcasts right i had to do fucking instagram posts and paid facebook pages and like fucking video for a podcast because mm-hmm. that's what people want and the scale of it i think if i'd known that at the start i probably would have just been like fuck it it's too hard <laughs> yeah i mean <clears throat> i guess it's one of those things like we never really talked about doing anything like that um like we have done like chris uh he does like Twitch streaming, like for his personal stuff, like for his art or for like gaming or whatever, whatever else he does. But like, there were a few things we've done uh, through his Twitch, like whenever the the last record was coming out, uh, No Eternity, we, we hopped on like a call together and I'll just like talked about like the new record and just answered questions that people were asking and whatnot. And then did like a, a listening party. So like, we try to think of like things outside the box to do and to like be, I guess, engaging with fans online and whatnot and, and try to make the best of that stuff. Um, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't know, like, um, I guess it's like, since there was so much downtime with the pandemic and all that, like, since we couldn't get those like face-to-face interactions, like you're almost like forced to not forced, but like, you're, it's just like sink or swim. Like, all right, like, what can we do to, to try and like, you know, make sure our fans are still there and, you know, make sure people still care about us and, you know, I, I was trying to do some guitar playthrough videos, you know, post like some how-to riff, like riff videos and whatnot and do do that type of stuff. And uh, we did tab books through a company called Sheet Happens, which is really cool. So I think it's one of those things where you can just, a band can think of different ideas, what works for them or what might make sense for like what their fan base would want to see from them. So yeah, it's got to get creative. Yeah, I feel like it's natural to feel like a fish out of water with some of that though, right? Because it's kind of a completely different job you know like if you were in a corporation as it were someone would be paid just to make social content but all of a sudden you're going from the thing that you get paid to do which is write albums and play shows to like now i have to learn marketing what the fuck yeah and and it's pretty cool it's like one of those things where it's like you mentioned patreon and cameo and it's like i know those are great tools and like they help out a lot of people but like just for me I, i just i don't know like i would feel weird doing it i just don't want to like make people pay for that it's it's one of those things where it's like I like I've offered guitar lessons and stuff and like like how to how to make demos at home and how to edit MIDI drums and like those types of lessons. I do it through Discord and whatnot. And like people, you know, I, I charge for my hour, but that's one of those things where it's like a more tangible or a more niche thing for people to like be to, to look after. So I, I would just feel weird just like doing a cameo or, or something like that. It's just I guess I'm just not that type of person. I'm not as outgoing as others might be for that type of thing but you know it, it's just business at the end of the day and I understand where it makes sense for people to do it yeah I feel the same and I feel similarly about things like paid VIP backstage passes and all of that kind of stuff too and maybe that's just a scene thing because I'm used to going to the merch table and meeting the band that have played and buying a t-shirt and sort of funding it that way 
Um, but yeah, that it makes me feel slightly like like would I would I buy a cameo from Papa Roach? The answer was ultimately no, but I thought about it for a really fucking long time. <laughs> I mean, that's totally fair. It, it's it's definitely cool. Like I, I get it for sure. But I think just for like, yeah, like I said, like personally on the level I'm at, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. <laughs> I think it'd be sad too if you did it and then like no one bought it. And yeah, like, exactly. Oh, no one wants a fucking cameo for me. <laughs> I, I know that. Like maybe like a couple people want a, a lesson, but no one wants a cameo. <laughs> How, how were the lessons? I mean, was that something that you had done before and you kind of felt like you were slipping into it again? Or did you have to sort of learn how to teach and like be patient with digital people, as it were? Just something I wanted to get my feet in, like get my foot in the water with. And um, I just found myself just like kind of built up the confidence, wanted to be like, all right, I'm just going to post something and see if anyone cares. And, you know, if not, no worries. If so, cool. And I think it's just, I don't know, I just... I guess I would like to just hone in my skill more and and with like teaching and all that type of stuff. So I feel like it's like a nice, like beneficial way for each party. Like they'll learn something and it's also helping me like, like, all right, I'm getting like an idea on how to do this type of stuff now and how to explain software to people or, or kind of cater to what each person would need. But they've been really cool, man. Like uh, each, each person is on like a different level and it's not strictly just like, Hey, here's a guitar list. I'm going to teach you how to do this. It's like, some people already know how to play and can write riffs and like like the the one kid i've worked with the most he he has a lot of sick riff ideas and he'll bring me like a minute and a half worth of like riffs that he wrote and like i taught him how to like program some drums to them and then from there he furthered that skill now he wrote some drums to the minute and a half of this new riff he wrote and then from there i'm like all right let's you want to like make this a song like let's let's cut some parts up i hear this should be the chorus let's double this part and like I can share my screen with him and he'll just like watch me kind of help produce his song in real time. And like, he can hear what I'm doing and whatnot. So it, it's just cool. There's all types of different people that I work with. So like that kid's more advanced and he's doing songwriting shit. There's someone else that's just learning how to like pick up the guitar. So I taught him like the first, the first few things that I learned whenever I was first learning, like how to smoke on the water. On, what's that? Did you teach him smoke on the water? <laughs> no, no, more boring than that. Just learning how to finger the first four frets all the way up the strings and backwards. <laughs> hey, I can't, I can't even do that. Um, so there's this, there's this thing with like novelists and stuff, right? Where if you send them your manuscript, they won't read it because they might sort of ingest it and it becomes an idea and then yeah. it opens them up to whole lot of problems. I mean, how do you deal with that with, you know, people coming to you with songs and stuff and you're teaching them and then going to write, you know, your own stuff? Or you, did you have moments where you're like, oh, fuck, that sounds familiar? No, I feel completely detached from it. I think because it's not my song and someone's just saying, hey, this is mine, help me with it. I can just be completely like, not like, I'm invested because I want to give them the best product I can from, you know, because I'm helping them. But I'm not like emotionally invested into it, how I am with one of my songs. Like, it's like I'm I'm babysitting someone else's kid, not my kid. <laughs> I know it's how you know, <laughs> but it's just one of those things. I'm just not as emotionally as involved. So it's not gonna like sit with me the same as something that I'm doing for like moths. Yeah. And I guess it's completely different to what you would write to, right? In terms of like the level mm -hmm. and, the, and the style and that kind of thing. To an extent, like like the one, the one student I mentioned, like he has some really sick riffs and they're in the same realm of genre of what, you know. You know, I told him actually the riffs he write, the riffs that he writes remind me of 
Prada mixed with Cloud Kicker mixed with This or the Apocalypse. And I think that's sick. So stylistically, I do like what he writes, but it's it's one of those things I know I'm still detached from it because it's not mine and I didn't craft it. He's coming for your job. He might be. <laughs> I hate to be the guy <laughs> to tell to, you. He's trying to get all the, all the info from me on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate to be the guy to tell you, but I see yeah, it. Could. Well, it was a good run. <laughs> <laughs> Um, dude, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out, man. I really appreciate your time. Hey, it's been an awesome time, dude. Thank you for having me. So that was my chat with Zach from Like Moths to Flames. Thank you so much for hanging out, both to Zach and to you as well. I hope you got something great out of that episode. I think he shares a lot of insights, and there's definitely some things that if you're thinking about going into the industry or you're in a band, you might want to scrub back through that episode and check out some of the things he says, take some notes. We've got some cool stuff coming up over the next few months, um, so we're very, very excited to be back in the swing of things. And as always, you can check out the podcast, follow us on social, Instagram, More Than Punk Podcast, Facebook, More Than Punk Podcast. Of course, on Twitter, no surprises, it's the same handle across all three. I'll see you again next week, my friends.